0: Why are you having so much trouble having a relationship with your mom when you know that all this was crap?
1: Because it was sustained. So it took 39 years to uncover. So in those 39 years, I viewed my mom through a false narrative. I viewed my mom as someone that was danger to me.
2: You're listening to the Nacho Kids podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids method and the Nacho Kids Academy step family coaching team, Lori and David Sims.
0: Happy New Year from Nacho Kids. This is episode 136. Woo. Party right. in the house. Let's get 2022 on the way. On the way, folks. On the way. All right, the winner of the Linda Dunham Nacho Kids Academy Scholarship. What? That sounds so weird. We're not. I know.
3: Yeah, I know. We got somebody else who's who's donated some some scholarships. Thank you, Linda. You're awesome.
0: Linda is awesome. Linda is awesome. We're going to write listen, a song. Listen, Linda. <laughs> Linda, listen. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I love that listen, kid. Linda. Listen, li- listen. He's
3: probably he's probably twenty years old now, but anyway.
0: Doesn't he say, "Linda, honey"? <laughs>
3: yeah, honey, Linda. Listen, uh, yeah, it's an awesome video.
0: <laughs> so, our winner of the Linda Dunham Nacho Kids Academy Scholarship is Kiana P. Oh, right, Kiana. Kiana, I like that name. I hope that's really your name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kiana, check your email for an email from us and we will get you started in the Nacho Kids Academy. And Linda, thank you again for donating scholarships for yep. step families in the Nacho Kids Academy.
3: That's right. You have done your part.
0: Our guest today is Lisa Goodpastor. That's
3: interesting. I've never heard that last name.
0: Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a Lisa Badpastor out there. I don't know. <laughs> we do need to add a disclaimer to this episode. There is some adult language, mention of molestation, and just some downright crazy stuff that the stepmom did.
3: So a normal Netflix night. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Lisa experienced parental alienation as a child. As a victim of parental alienation, she is still trying to repair her relationship with her mother. She has a stepson, 29, a stepson, 22, a stepdaughter, 31, and a bio son, 28. She is currently going through a divorce. They were married for twenty years. She works for the Step Hood Project and just finished a book.
3: So she's she's currently in a step family that's dissolving
0: after twenty years. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And we discuss why.
3: Yeah, because you. I mean, if you were in a step family back in the day, <laughs> you know there were no resources available. To my knowledge, that long ago. You know, it was almost taboo to even talk about being in a step family. Nobody understood anything about it. As much as we still don't have a ton of resources today, we still have a lot compared to what we used to have. Mm -hmm. So, man.
0: I did read the first chapter of her book, which she offers for free. And I will tell you that I couldn't read it all at one time because it is so traumatic, for lack of a better word. Wow. and. It's really bad. It's bad what she experienced, and that's only in Chapter 1. Goodness. I told her I was scared to read the rest of the book.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she starts off bad and then, you know, ends it good.
0: Well, it it ends good because she is trying to help families that deal with parental alienation. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the lady that, you know, Dorsey Pruder, that does a lot with alienated families because she was alienated.
3: Right. Yeah, I mean— People that live through some type of traumatic event and then come out to support others that have gone through it or create resources to help other people, um, there's just a different type of person that does that, and the ability for them to help is, is very different. I mean, I know we created the Nacho Kids because of that, but you think of people that have lost loved ones to something, kidnapping or cancer or whatever. And they, and they start becoming advocates for certain things. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's great to see that people use their pain to help others.
0: Right. And that's what she's doing. So we thank her for sharing her story with us. And I will put a link in the show notes where you can get the first chapter of her book, for free and also once her book is released i will put a link for that it's supposed to release this month
3: cool mm-hmm. that's interesting so she's releasing the first chapter for free and the book's not even published yet hmm. mm-hmm. it's kind of like a trailer it's a trailer for the book
0: yeah yeah there you go
3: cool I like it.
0: I don't want to get into too many details about this interview because I don't want to give too much away, but Lisa has been through a lot, and she continues to heal from the trauma that she experienced from her stepmother alienating her from her mom. Mm. So let's get to listening.
3: All right. First, here's a word about the Nacho Kids Academy.
2: There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle stepfamily challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit nachokidsacademy.com and sign up today to join other step-parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's nachokidsacademy.com.
0: Today, we have Lisa Goodpastor. Hey, Lisa, how are you?
2: I'm
1: good. Thanks. Nice to be here.
0: Well, thank you for being here. So tell us a little bit about your story. You were a stepchild growing up.
1: Right. Yes. I thought I was a typical child from divorce. My parents divorced when I was four and they both got remarried. And as we know, when families get remarried, it can get very difficult because they have new spouses. And in my situation, I didn't have a very healthy step parent, stepmom. And as every stepmom cringes right now, I can tell you this that unfortunately, what happened, because bio moms do this too, but my stepmom is responsible for alienating me from my mom. And she couldn't do it without my dad's permission. But how she did it, according to the CDC, they've never seen anything like this. This is absolute malignant narcissist that wanted to erase me and my mom. So how old were you when your parents got divorced? So I was four and when my dad was engaged to my stepmom, I was supposed to, I moved in with them. I was like seven and a half. It was only supposed to be for like a week because my mom's car was in the shop or something. And it ended up being until I was 13. So over five years. So it's nice.
0: How did you go from, "You were supposed to stay a week" to "You're there for six years?"
1: Well, I had a very um, close relationship with my dad, and my mom she fought for me. she kept trying to come to get me home, and I, I guess, from what I know, my dad just said, "Let her live with me for a while." And looking back, now it was a way to control my dad and me. I think I had a very, like I said, a, a not. A very ill stepmom, mm-hmm. and um, unfortunately, this happens. And so, yeah, I was about seven and a half, and I did see my mom occasionally throughout those, you know, years. But I never wanted to be around her. And luckily, I had other family and cousins and friends. But yeah, I thought I had one good parent and one bad parent
0: because of what your stepmom had told you,
1: right? Because of what my stepmom had told me had wrote about. I spent more time with my stepmom through the ages of seven to 13 than I had with any of my parents. Okay. That is a very crucial age. That's like the age of reason. You know, that's when we start questioning or we believe what we're told. And it's a very innocent time. I can clearly look back and see that my dad wasn't ma- ready to get married. You no, know, it's seeing this as an adult, like there were so many mistakes. It's, it's like my book is almost like, what not to do and what to do, because it's it, you can't ignore it. It's we are leading in the number one in the entire world. Uh United States is leading in the number one single family homes worldwide. How many of them are co-parenting healthy?
0: I would say 28%.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's just it it can't be ignored. This is just it's not okay anymore. So yeah. I lived with them from the time I was seven to about 13 and then kind of back and forth between both parents. But I was rebelling. I, by the time I was a teenager, I was like the angry alienated teenager. I don't know if how many of you know or have are dealing with alienation, but the teenagers it's from like junior high on it's, it's a whole other kind of rage that these kids have within them. And it looks very scary to a parent because they don't understand, like, why does my child hate me? Why does my child act like this? And so it's just, it just continues. Well,
0: if your stepmom didn't want you Mm -hmm. there, don't you think she would have pushed your dad into not getting you full time?
1: You would think. And, you know, I think my stepmom wasn't very, really honest with herself as you you can tell in the script that she writes. And I think for some reason, she must've grew up with shame about being married to somebody else. There is kind of, I'll never forget when she told me, don't ever marry a man with kids. You'll regret it. And at the time (laughs) I did it. And at the time I took it as like a friendly thing, but at the same time, I was like, but wait, I'm a kid. Like that that confuses me but just keeping that to myself you know not not having a parent there to you know she was she was 10 years younger than my dad so really i mean my parents had an obligation to protect me and you know i think it's time to start having these uncomfortable conversations because i'm a stepmom i'm still a stepchild and it's like i know what it feels like and. I think my stepmom, honestly, I think that I can look at it objectively and she had feelings that must've come from somewhere and she didn't know how to deal with it. And so she controlled and manipulated a lot until she couldn't. And um, the best thing for me was that I got away early, like, you know, 19, 20, I was gone. Mm -hmm. That's what kids do. They just, you know, they want to get away. So, yeah. Um, But good question. Yeah. So when, I
0: know it's probably hard to remember certain things, but when you went to go live with your dad, you wanted to be there. Was your Mm -hmm. stepmom nice to you? Or what you thought was nice? Maybe that's a better way to put it.
1: <laughs> she wasn't as nice as all the other girlfriends he had. She was nice, but nice like she she didn't have kids yet. She had kids with my dad, but she didn't have kids yet when we met. So she was, I would say, young and nice. But she seemed like she would get uncomfortable. Like She would say things like, I think she was intimidated by my dad's relationship with me and I can understand why if you didn't have kids, my dad was very, uh, very loving, very close with me. And I think that, you know, sometimes it's the bio mom again, but it's exactly what happens with the bio mom, except the bio mom goes after the dad, this alienator happened to be the stepmom. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. It's the same sort of just hate and bash and just unnecessary things that being unhealthy will have you do. And um, so when you grow up around it, it, it's, I just thought it was normal.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, back then, I mean, I'm a Gen Xer, but they didn't care about us. They were like, you guys are you kids. You're, you're doomed. Right. So, <laughs> just add that on top of the divorce It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> help. This is a, how do I navigate this? So yeah, it sucked. It, you know, it, it's kind of like a little bit, cinderella backwards except there's no prince now there's just uh (laughs) (laughs) uh, my you know my new baby's the book and you know just it's a really interesting time to be alive i can tell you that so at what age do you
0: think you realized that i'm assuming your dad also Mm -hmm. helped like you said your stepmom couldn't alienate you from your mom unless he allowed it right but what age did you realize wait a minute Something's not right. They're keeping me from my mom, or they're trying to change the way I feel about my mom.
1: Great question. So, here's the funny thing I never thought that. I thought that I was with the good parents. I didn't want to be with my mom. And when you don't see your kid on a consistent basis, or from what I understand, like I was told that my mom was partying and, you know, she was doing all these bad things. So, I just assumed they were true. So I would, why would I question that because you're around another person that's married to your dad. And she made me think that my dad was the only one who cared and loved me. Mm -hmm. So I automatically protected my dad and learned. you know, I, I believed what I was told was that my mom never wanted me and, you know, all kinds of ugly stuff, but which would make any kid because that age it's, our brains are still forming. And when I mean forming, so our subconscious, so everything that goes into our subconscious, those are the things that stick. Mm-hmm. So when we know that negative experiences, we will remember ne- negative experiences because that's what the brain does out of survival. Yes. So when you're seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, you know, all those things that you've been told, they stick mm-hmm. because. Why wouldn't they? So it's like you're brainwashed. It's like, I call it hijacking. That's what happens. And that's what's so hard is about fixing this and understanding it because to get a child to reunify, that's tough to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I, it's like, I, there was no way they would have had to, like my my dad would have had to have, both my parents would have had to like, save me somehow. And that's the problem is when you have two parents that are high conflict divorce, they don't co-parent your kids in peril. And it's a parent's, it's a parent's responsibility to make sure that the kid is your child is being loved and nurtured. And, you know, there's so many good step parents, but there's just as many bad parents period without putting, you know, a pronoun in front of it. But you know we're just we're at that point in our society it it was i honestly think that being married being a step parent i just know that my dad in some way maybe liked the fact that my stepmom was vocal about things because he didn't want the divorce and you know probably felt good to his ego oh yeah this this lady that i'm dating sees doesn't like my ex-wife, so it validates his his narrative.
0: And you didn't think to ask your mom something like, "Do you not want me?" Or did you even so, care? Then
1: you would think, right? Right. So this is why it's so good about about the book and everything because it's the actual evidence that was put in. So what alienators do is they take the truth and then they twist it. Mm-hmm. So, like for example my mom was always partying. No, my mom was working. So, you know, my mom, like in the book, the story, my mom's name is Eva Mm -hmm. in, in my, in the book it's Eve. Mm -hmm. So she takes things that are, you know, my mom is a small woman. Lisa's mom is a small woman. She takes all these little facts and then uses it and then twists it. So I believe that my, my, like, she takes it all the way from when my mom is actually, I'm, she's pregnant and like my mom never wanted me. And like, I would kick my mom and break her ribs. It's, it's evil. This is, you know, they, they talk about being married to a narcissist. This is the actual like doctors want to read it because it's, it's really telling how an alienator really thinks, because if you just look at a seven-year-old, they're so cute. They're innocent. Imagine being an adult, but not seeing that, but seeing evil and hate and a demon. That's a malignant narc. That is a malignant narcissist. That is a sociopath. And it sucks. I really thought there were times when I knew I didn't like her, but I I felt like I can't tell anyone my dad's the only one that loves me because that's how it played out in my life. Mm -hmm. But once you get the evidence and once you you know you the good thing was that I that I got away and I, I have a son, I raised him, was married. you know I had a I had a pretty good adulthood because I didn't want to repeat what my parents what I couldn't explain to my parents. I just thought they were just bad parents.
0: Yeah. so for our listeners, let's backtrack a minute. Mm-hmm. You found I, I don't know um, journal type thing where your mm-hmm. stepmom was writing a book about you and your mom.
1: Right. It was like, we thought it was maybe some sort of weird creative writing that she was doing in college. But no, she wrote this over a period of, I don't know, maybe five years. And yeah, she it, a journal, it's typed out like a manuscript. And um, yeah, it, it takes me from my birth all the way to the end which is, didn't happen. But how did you find it? So I remember reading it and I don't even remember how many times I read it. And a lot of the things that are in there, because even when I scan it to look, when I was like, you know, researching, I could hear her voice. I'm like, why am I reading it in her voice? It's Mm -hmm. like, probably because you heard it. Ooh. You know? So I had a trigger and I was I was always 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 in and out of different types of counseling. Always just trying to figure stuff out because just nothing ever felt right. It just always felt off.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I had the trigger, I just said, "Dad, I need you to do me a favor." And I didn't know if we would still be there or not. And I just said, "Can you please grab the proof?" It's like, "What are you talking about? Just grab the proof. It's underneath her nightstand." And it had been, and he brought it. It had been in her nightstand for 27 years. My dad brought it to me. Were they still together? My dad's still, yeah, they're still together. Yep. And at the time I was seeing a counselor and he was a Christian counselor, which is great. He read it and he said, this is pure evil, throw it away, which was a huge mistake. And luckily I didn't. I just gave it to my husband at the time and he put it somewhere. I didn't know where. Well, he put it in the shed. So 15 years later, he cleans out the shed. And I'm on the phone with my mom because we'd always have these, uh, you know, triggers and just, we'd always, I was always in and out of her life. Mm-hmm. That's typical for an evening kid. And this time I'm not a teenager. I'm a grown you know, woman. That, you know, my son's already in college. And she said, my mom said, how many triggers do you have? And my husband said, I found the script. I uploaded it and I emailed it to my mom. And then this is after 40, this is 40, almost 30, This is 39 years later. Wow. 39 years later, my mom calls me back within an hour and she's never wavered once. Never. It was all of us. My mom has never wavered. She, this did not happen. And as soon as I got that like confirmation from her, cause I was 44. You read something like that at 44 after raising your own kid, you know, uh-oh, what happened. Right. So it was like everything flipped. Everything flipped. It was a shock for my whole family. It was a shock. Where would you go? Like, uh, hello, I just found out that my brain might have been hijacked. There's no place to go. Like, what happens? We didn't know. So I didn't know that this was alienation until it actually says it. So she knew exactly what she was doing. But yeah, that's kind of the the gist of it. And I'll never forget my husband, you know, Greg, you know, I looked at him. He looked at me. I go, what do we do? He goes, put it in the light. So I I was teasing, like, why did you have to tell me to put it in the (laughs) light? This is a lot of work.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But he knew that your tragedy could turn into a testimony.
1: Yes. He's known me my whole adult life. He was a pilot. I was a flight attendant. That's how we met. And so it all made sense. Once we figured it out, it's like, Oh my gosh, there's nothing wrong with me. I was alienated. And, you know, it's been a lot of um, neuroplasticities, a lot of cutting edge stuff that really helps the brain and a lot of trauma, like over 1500 hours of, it's like almost four years of trauma therapy. Wow. Along with like, I did uh, ketamine. I did, uh, you know, I didn't know I, what happened was how I responded to trauma as a kid, same way I responded to trauma as an adult. I ignored it and pushed it down uh-huh. and my body remembered. So once I had the proof, it was, um, yeah, it was a unraveling and an awakening. Did
0: your dad know what that was and that she was writing that?
1: No. He knew that like he would tell me things like he knew that she didn't like me or she had issues or he just figured that's just how she is. He played it down. So that was like I was so used to that. We know now that that's gaslighting, right? <laughs> so he would tell me in the car him taking me into from school and all those things, that was like our alone time, but that was his time where he would talk to me so he was like the person that needed to be in therapy, but they would talk to the kid. Mhm. So yeah, he would tell me things like, she's just jealous of you. When you're seven, eight, nine, ten, what does a kid do with that? Like, what does it mean to be jealous? Why? So it was really so he just dismissed it as like, oh, that's just how women are. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a little different.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: This is a lot different. And so you can see how, and he he tried it. I mean, he was very vocal. About, you know, that's my daughter. And, you know, we would get into these little, was a lot of drama, but she couldn't see me. The only way that she could accept me is if there had to be something wrong with me. Like I had to be like the most just dramatic or, you know, always getting in trouble, Lisa, just anything that could shame me. And that's what it was a lot of shame.
0: So your dad didn't know about her writing this stuff until you asked for it when you were older?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Did he read it before he gave it to you?
1: No, he did. He said he did, but I don't think he did because there's something not right. Because every, and this is unfortunate, but every person that I've talked to, that's, you know, a doctor, you know, psychologist, it's not okay. I I mean, not, not that he should get divorced, but our fathers are supposed to protect us. Right. Our first line of defense. and. My dad didn't have a dad. So, you you know, you could take the whole, like I do a lot of the family systems therapy and, you know, you can peel back the layers, but nobody protected me. So I protected my son. So, you know, it was like, it sucked. I, to this day, I I don't know what it feels like to feel safe in my dad's arms. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, You know, it isn't it? It's so sad, but it's probably so normal for us kids that go through this, that it's not even in the the DSM five yet. How can you heal from something that you don't know happened to you? That's one of the number one reasons to speak up about this because yeah, that's a big statement. I don't know what it feels like to feel safe in my dad's arms. How do I know this? Because I'm going through a divorce and when you peel back the layers, it's like, gosh, I miss Greg. He was really nurturing yeah, I married a parent. I married. And that's what we do when we don't have these, when we go through life, you know, we, we know that we had some trauma, but we feel okay about it, but it's in our behaviors and, you know, yeah, you don't really like it, it a lot that I had a good stable relationship with my husband. But when that kind of fell apart, it was like, oh my God, he was the band-aid. And everything that I had pushed down as a kid, because my son was, my son was already in college. And then the, the band-aid, you feel it all over. And this time, you know what it is. So for the people that don't know, all of our pain usually stands all, almost always from childhood. Right. We just don't know it. Right. And so mine came with the manual. So now I'm like, all right. Whoever gets me next is going to be lucky because at least it comes with a manual. <laughs> 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 you know, I have to be, I mean, I'm always laughing because it's like, sometimes I just see the funny in it. Like, oh, oh you, you have
0: God. to, or you'll, you'll go crazy.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So you got married
0: and had your son mm-hmm. and you and your husband at that time split up mm-hmm. and you remarried a guy that had kids. Yes. And you are currently going through a divorce with him. Hmm. Okay. Got it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And that was unfortunate. I joked with him. I'm like, Greg, you know what? Your takeoff was great, but your landing was really, I don't know if I can cuss, but it was bad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so pilots, they all do it, but it was just something that you just, there was no way to reconcile that. And we didn't have kids together, but he helped me raise my son and he was such a good stepdad in the sense that he was the calm one. He didn't get to raise his kids because they were aiming at it, but we did see them a lot, but yeah, because we didn't know, but yeah, it was a shock to my son too, but yeah, it was, um, that was the most stability I'd ever had in my life. So I didn't want to let go and I can figure out why. And it's like, oh, cause I didn't want to feel the stuff that I pushed down. Darn mm-hmm. it. So yeah.
0: And y'all were married 20 years? Mm-hmm. Over 20. Yeah. 21 years. Wow. When you said all pilots do it, did he cheat? Yeah.
1: I don't want to say all pilots because there might be some pilot wives watching and I want to <laughs>
2: <laughs> like
1: just it's, it's it, it, you know, damn it. Yeah, he did. And, 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 and he I don't think he thought he was going to get caught. And it just he I think it just unfolded that way. He was a little bit, you know, he's 13 years older than me. And I think it really hurt him. He didn't think I was going to get better because you really, I mean, I, I honest to God, I, I came apart and that's only because I had a lot of illnesses. I was really, I got really sick. They were going to diagnose me with some autoimmune disease, rheumatoid arthritis, because I had had a cycling accident 10 years prior. I broke my neck and didn't know, but I was in mom mode. I'm like, I'll be fine. And I had all these other accident things that happened. So when I got really sick, it wasn't that I broke my neck or it wasn't arthritis. It was the trauma that I suffered because once I went to heal from it and to, you know, deal with it, um, feel it and all the things, you're, you know, you got to do, all the pain went away and I never took a pain pill again.
0: Wow. Well, you know, I've, I've got to ask the details and it's okay if you don't want to share them and I can edit this out if you don't. How did you, you catch him?
1: <laughs> My damn intuition. <laughs> Trauma teaches you, like, when you go through traumas, like, you get that intuition. And, and, you know, just like I had the past, you know, I don't know why it just happens.
0: Oh, honey, I get it. My intuition yeah. is crazy.
1: Mine was like, I'm in the garage, whoever's watching. You know, my system, my nervous system, like, growing up, I didn't realize. It's like, yeah, I was having panic attacks. I didn't even know. So once you know what your body. Once you know, like what's happening, it, it's, it, it's kind of really insightful, but there I am in the garage and I hear like, I swear it was something just said, reach in the trash. It's just like gar- nothing, you know, grows just yeah. Know, papers reach in there. huh? So I reach in and I pull out copies of airline tickets. Like, and it didn't have my name on it. So I took it and if some chick out of Brazil, And, uh, yeah, it was, a it this wasn't like a touch and glow overnight. (laughs) Yeah. And so I found that out on Instagram. So I Googled the name and then I sent her a picture. I said, you know, this guy, you know, she told me more than I needed to know. And it was so bad. He couldn't even get an attorney. Wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. My son always says, man, when I'm in my sixties, I'm not going to do that. Because who wants to get a divorce? I mean, pilots think about it, right? In California, it's like over 20 years, it's lifetime. Yeah. It still shocks me sometimes. I still walk around like, wait, I can't believe, like, I miss my garage. You know, I'm in my first like new girl, you know, new space, you know, single. takes like five minutes to clean. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. It's a process. And honest to God, my first thing was, I got this. I've been through so much more. I got this. Oh, God, it sucks. Well, how long have you been <laughs> by yourself? So 2019 is when I caught him. Mm-hmm. And so now, yeah, because of COVID and all that, he ended up being stuck at his parents.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: So, yeah. So now he's on the other side of the country now. He moved, um, I think, closer to Brazil. I don't know. We're still friends. But it's just there was no warning. Like, you know how sometimes you get... I was like healing. I was in the middle of all of this, you know, and like, you know, can I write the book, all this stuff? He never told me that, Hey, you know, he never said anything. And that was like something my mom was like kind of quiet like that. So you can see how like, Ooh, I kind of married my mom. Yeah. <laughs> married someone detached. Cause I thought like I grew up detached from my mom. <laughs> so we joke like, I'm like, I'm going to keep your last name. Yeah. Why? Because I've had it the longest and you raised me more.
0: <laughs> well, not just that, but you kind of have a business tied to it now.
1: Yeah. I mean, not really, because he's, I don't think he wants anything to do with it. I think that was the biggest. No, I mean, thing. your name. Oh, my name. Yeah. yeah he said he was going to change his. We just laughed.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Tell we him to change it laugh. to Smith.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm, I applaud you for still being able to be decent with him. And on a friendly level, because been there, done that, mm, I'm not one to get over things like that very easily.
1: Yeah, I know. And I don't know if that's a trauma response either, to tell you the truth, because it's like, why am I like that? And I think he was so good when Matt, when I was raising our son and my son, and I even asked my son, I'm like, hey, do you think you're going to talk to him? He goes, I'm not going to make an effort. He just looks at me and I'm like... Okay, why do I feel why am I so am I being too nice? I think, honest to god, he he didn't want to um he got caught. yeah, and you know what, really? I'm kind of young still, so I'm okay now. Well, you know, <laughs> I was what? kind of bored. Was, <laughs> I mean it was great, but I haven't really got to like live my life in the sense of like in the now where in the truth, because yeah. I was always trying to prove it or, or fight it.
0: yeah. Well, you know, I have to ask, do you think that's the only time he cheated on you?
1: No, he cheated before he cheated in 2015 and I caught him the same way. Just Yeah, no, in 2015, there was a little mistake. And uh, I remember I actually called my mom, which I never do. I, I, I did reach out to her and my mom actually came and gave me really good advice and I forgave him. And then not long after that, everything happened. We found the evidence. It was a lot. But those are the only two that I'm aware of. But, you know, you would think that you marry someone older, that they get over that. Mm-hmm. And there's no rhyme or reason. It's just, uh, yeah, not my first time ever being cheated on. And I hope it's my last. Yes,
0: because it sucks.
1: Right? Yeah. But it happens. I don't know if that has something to do with the anger when parents get divorced, you know, but it's just not good to carry, you know, w- once they cheat on you, w- once they do it the first time, even though you forgive them, it takes a long time and you can't really be because then you're wondering and th- that just sucks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, damn temptation.
0: <laughs> yes, I can definitely relate to the intuition thing. I told you mine's crazy crazy, Mm -hmm. crazy. I was not relationship-wise, but I was in London, and I just had this feeling something was wrong. And I had had those feelings throughout my life, and usually I would find out what they were, and I just could not shake this one. And it made me ugly cry. And I'm not a big crier. So I called my mom, and I said, is everything okay? And she just started crying. She had found out she had breast cancer.
1: Yeah, I know, because it's like, it's yeah, it's that's exactly how I went to reach in, like, just do and it. Yep. And I probably kind of knew before, but I, I really didn't know. I mean, gosh, can I take this and stupid Instagram and there? <laughs> and, and it was like, yeah, but I handled it. well. I even saved the whole, like, conversation because I was just like, just taking the high road. Yeah. You know, just kind of like, wow, you must have really stalked me. Well, good luck. Uh, you know, he's going to fall asleep really soon. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to talk a whole lot. <laughs> so
0: the first time he cheated on you, did mm-hmm. you knew about it when it happened? Yeah. So how did you stay through that and not the second time?
1: So I was like feeling all kinds of like, just like, just like how you were feeling, like you just explained it. You were like, something's not right. You feel it in your body. That's your, that's you your, do. you know, that's your fight or flight. That's everything. I was like, something's not right. And so you start to try to figure things out. You start snooping around. And I remember for two months, I kept saying, why does it feel like I'm married? And I would say my ex-husband's name. And I'm like, because Greg and I were really close. And I'm like, maybe he saw too much. I don't know. I would just say like, Greg, honest to God, I swear. Are you doing anything? No, Lisa why? I, go, I just feel like I'm married to, you know, and he like, you're <laughs> gaslighting me, right? Like, uh-huh. well, how would I know I've been gaslighting for so long? I'm like, wait, okay. Then I just like, finally just took the courage and just went to the computer and just boom, and then saw something and then actually called the airline. And cause I saw that he was, she was a flight attendant. She looked uh, like a very different version of me, meaning like a cartoonish version, not being mean, just being right. real. Right. And I know that she was a troublemaker. She was going to try to get him in trouble ah. and pilots are, they can't take drugs. They, you know, some of them drink. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is one of the ways that they cope. I'm just saying, I called the airline and they're flying. They're in flight. You're only supposed to call for an emergency. And in my my brain and my heart, it was an emergency. Yes. <laughs> and, and being a former flight attendant, you know, and they're like, um, you know what, ma'am? There's actually emergency happening right now, but he's going to get the message. And um, it was awful because he was the band-aid I didn't want to fill. Mm-hmm. So the good thing is, is that my mom gave me good advice because staying in another five years, that made a big difference in after two <laughs> On me again. (laughs) So,
0: what advice did your mom give you?
1: To stay with him, to forgive him, and to stay with him. Like, this wasn't like him. Like, everybody would say, you know, he was like such a good husband from the outside. He really was. I thought he was. And I think what happened is that I think I became very codependent once I got sick, once I had that accident, that cycling accident.
0: And oh, see, we don't know about that either. You got to tell us about that.
1: Yeah. When I was 35 or so, I was cycling. I wanted a hobby. I never thought I'd wear those cycling shorts and I loved it. And I was cycling. I learned to race. And uh, one day I went with a couple of my girlfriends and uh, I crashed down a mountain going 36 miles an hour because yeah. it was a little thorn in my tire. And I just remember going, do I clip in? Do I clip out? And as soon as I clipped out, I flew my p- face at the pavement, everything shattered my sh- I didn't know if my face was gone. I didn't know what was happening. I never lost consciousness. As soon as I got to the hospital, I was like, I got to go. My son's at home. He's playing video games. Like I was in mom mode. It's like, Lisa, like relax. Yeah. It was really bad. I had to have surgery. I had all kinds of, you can't tell now. I mean, there's some scars, but Mm -hmm. yeah, that's where I broke my neck and they didn't know they took x-rays, but they didn't catch it. So 10 years later, when I got really sick, my husband was the one that said, check her neck. They did an MRI and x-ray. And sure enough, it looked like my neck had been broken twice. And they said, Lisa, don't move. You're going to have to have major neck surgery. So just like hold off until, you know, see what's happening. Cause I had so much pain. And then a neurologist saw me. He's like, the pain you're explaining is not coming from your neck where the hell is it coming from then? Cause I feel sick. He's like, you feel sick. You go, I feel like throwing up. And he's like, yeah, that wouldn't be coming from the neck. That's some other part of the system. So I had to, had to go through all this kind of training about the brain and body. And sure enough, I went to a place called the Hoffman process and it's a seven day intensive. It's like going to therapy for 10 years and seven days. Wow. Yeah. And two weeks later, After the Hoffman, I didn't need to take a pain pill ever again. It was all from the trauma from childhood.
0: Well, you know, I disagree with a pain in your neck can make you sick because I have neck pain too, and it will make you nauseous. Right. But so you said you got sick. How did you get sick or why did you get sick?
1: So every bone in my body. So my sister was getting married, and so I kept going back to my dad and the alienator. Mm-hmm. So I kept getting triggered, didn't know, because I, I I just figured this is just the same shit I've learned my whole life. This is just what I have to deal with. This family's this way. This family's this way. And really, my hands started to go numb. Every joint in my body hurt my hands, my elbows. We couldn't figure out what was wrong. I thought I was just getting old. Like, maybe this is just old. Maybe this is just arthritis uh, or a- something. Yeah. Maybe this is from the accident. Yeah. No, it was 100%. That was like within the same week, my husband found the script. So once we knew like, oh, shit, this isn't good. I took it to the psychologist and not the one that told me to throw it away, a one that I'd been seeing. And she said, Lisa, I don't, I don't know if we can help you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? What's wrong with me? And that's how we got connected with them a really good uh, neurosurgeon. And then I went to the Hoffman and so I've been doing a lot of, like I said, different, different therapies, but yeah.
0: So you got sick from the accident that was 10 years prior.
1: That's what I thought. Yeah. And actually what it was, was it was all suppressed emotions, trauma, things that I had never dealt with. Wow. And because I was so good at like being able to you know, just kind of chameleon my way out of it. Like, okay, no big deal. No, they make you actually feel it. Cause that's how you have to heal. But you're talking trauma for like, from, since I was like seven, it was a
0: lot. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I know when we were going through our hardest part of our blend, I got really sick. They thought that I had pancreatic cancer because of my symptoms Mm -hmm. I lost a lot of weight. If you saw me, you would have honestly thought I was a drug addict. My eyes were sunk in. I was wearing size 12 in kids' clothes. It it was horrible. Now, granted, I had stress at work, too, so that just didn't help anything. But that's why we tell people so much. It's so important to get help because stress Mm -hmm. will kill you.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with me, it was like, when I read the script again at 44, it was like, ding, 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 my body remembered. You remember? Yeah. I'm just glad that it would have been really difficult as a kid to have someone intervene. If you were to look at all the symptoms that they talk about when a kid goes through parental alienation or the symptoms of it, and you're still a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You would think because of the disproportionate reactions and the anger, but it's, it's anger and it's somebody, one of the parents or someone is, has violated your child. And that's why they're acting this way towards you. It's, it's a hijack and it's sad and it's preventable. And there's, there's a way out to heal. The, the sooner a person understands it and figures it out, the better. Otherwise, you know, you're going to end up in my stage where it's fine, but like, honest to God, who wants to hang out with their? I mean, not that I, I don't love my mom, but it's like, I always thought that I was going to be married forever. So it's just like, flipped. Like, well, I guess you're my date now, mom. Yeah. <laughs> All the stuff we didn't get to do. Yeah. You, know, you weren't there for my uh, period, but menopause? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's just like, you know, you don't realize, like, I, I don't know if I can even quantify what it feels like, what it was like growing up without a mother for so long, because mm-hmm. I, I feel it now. Like, I'm not kidding. It's like, Oh God, I'm back in the same place. I was over 20 years ago where I didn't want to be, but I'm not a teenager.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: gosh, this is uncomfortable. So it's constantly, cause that's what trauma does. Is it out of survival? Those pathways that are supposed to be that connect the bond, they fry they stop growing because it's not being nurtured. So when you explain that more of a scientific way, it's Mm -hmm. like, whoa, well, that makes sense. Because most of us are just looking at the behavior from an emotional place. But when you take it apart and you can see, oh, wow. You know, that's why I hope that the book and and the project really help all families, but especially our blended and, you know, our stepmoms or stepdads, because when there's alienation that's a real tricky place to be.
0: Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. I started reading chapter 1. Mhm. and I felt sick for you. And you know, reading this, you're thinking is this true? Is this made up? I know that your life was rough, but some of the stuff in here it's it's crazy. It's crazy, mm-hmm. and it's so hard to believe that somebody could write this. It just it shocked me. It shocked me. I had to take a break from reading it.
1: Everybody has said that. I I've even I've, I'm like, gosh, you know what? I wish I could send a Xanax with them, with that that first <laughs> copy. So I went in back too, and, and I took it apart again. And this time I I put what the alienator said and then you'll get the truth. So it's not as heavy because yeah, even the men, you know, like, yeah, my whole family threw up. Some people couldn't finish reading it. Like, okay. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's, it's really, and that's just the first part. You need like get the whole thing, but yeah, that's why it's so important because a lot of the kids are going, you know, when you have family court and, you know, I don't know if you have, you know, step parents or some of your clients that have to deal with these high conflict situations. That's what happens is the kids. That's what they do. It's they want full custody and they, they say false accusations. Right. And it's 100% preventable. And I just think that if parents like, you know, that book, they say like what to expect while you're expecting. Yes. This is what to expect. If you're going to alienate and not co-parent. This is like the danger of not co-parenting. Nobody wants to really like, what is parental alienation? And, you know, like the whole world is suffering from it. It's just the kids. I mean, honest to God, to be able to say, I know exactly what it feels like in your body and at almost every age, feeling that as an adult now. Knowing what it is, thank God. If I didn't, I can understand why there's so much suicide, so much numbing, so much alcoholism. And people will say, well, we're surprised that that didn't happen. I'm like, well, there's still time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But but all fairness, no, I got the overthinking. I got the, you know, it was a nightmare and then it wasn't. But it was, I think what was even harder was everything that happened at school and, how hard it is. I never felt safe at either of my parents' home. Yeah. Is it true that the babysitter touched you inappropriately? No, that is false. But I was molested three times under my stepmom's care. And one of them was her father and she actually warned me. By the time he tried, I mean, I was pushing him away and you know, it's in the book, but all of the three men that violated me were also killed It was like divine intervention. All of this happened before I was 13. And so by the time I was 15, I think they were all dead. Wow. Mm -hmm. She warned me about it. Like, I don't like the way my father looks at you when he's drinking. You know, you should stay away from him. Didn't tell my dad, puts that on me. By then, you know, I went from straight fear where you pee in your pants to straight anger. Like, nobody's going to hurt me. And so you rebel, which is like, oh, wow, yeah, that sounds really cool. Well, yeah, it is. And then you get older and you're like, yeah, this rebelling doesn't work so well. Yeah. You'll rebel from like love. You'll rebel from like, mostly it was just my mom and dad, but it's, it was never supposed to happen.
0: Yeah. You know, my ex and I do not co-parent. We parallel parent, which means that basically I do my thing. He does his. Yeah. And it's not from lack of effort on my part. No, you got to realize my son's 16. Like I said, his dad and I split up while I was pregnant. And the slightest thing, we cannot get along. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about the effects that us not being able to co-parent could have on my kid. But
1: I can't change that. Right. So, very good. True. You can't change that. And you can only be like the best version of yourself, you know, because your kids are going to grow up and see like both sides. They'll keep it to themselves. Like, okay, my dad is or whatever, you know, just kids, at least you're there and you're present and you're both parallel parenting. You're, you don't have to be best friends to co-parent or you don't, you know, you can parallel parent. You can, you know, especially kids just need stability. Well, and you know, a
0: lot of people think parallel parenting means you're on the same track. And it's not. Right. He wants nothing to do with anything. For instance, I was told not to email him unless it was a medical necessity. Oh, okay. And now my son, he knows there's tension. Mm -hmm. Because number one, it's obvious. Number two, he knows that we've been in the court system forever. And also his dad has never hidden his disdain for me.
1: Mm, mm.
0: and of course my son would come to me and ask me questions and okay. I was honest with him I've always been honest with him maybe to a fault sometimes but I can't change who his dad is and I can't improve that relationship at all I mean we're we're you're 16 right almost right. 17
1: right. So like, I didn't always get along with my son's father, even though, you know, we knew each other from high school. So we had our moments, but we get along, you know, really well now, Matt hangs out with him all the time, but I have the saying because they used to say, God, you two were just like oil and water. I'm like, so we'll joke around and go, gosh, can you believe it? Like our kid is like, like, he's like so proud. He's like, he did such a good job with him. Oh my gosh. And like, I guess like two negatives make a positive. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, we (laughs) we say that we're firing gasoline.
1: Yeah. So it's just like, you know, two. So it's like two negatives make a positive. It doesn't mean that just because you guys don't get along, you don't see eye to eye doesn't mean like, I just think kids are the best versions of their parents, especially when they're in their you know, Mm -hmm. usually when they're in their best self, but yeah, you can't, you can't co-parent. So all you can do is you're actively involved, you're, you're there. If your son asks you questions, that's good. That just shows that he, he's not afraid enough to ask you something that's on his mind where someone like me, uh uh-uh, I was just like running or frozen or angry. Right. And then especially if the father is talking about the mother, because honestly, God, my son's father doesn't get along with his mother at all. I don't blame him. Um, I understand it. So my son kind of grew up thinking that both of his parents' mothers were bad. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to have, a, maybe I have too much compassion, but I can see how I could never hurt my son where he would want to think less of me. And I think some women raise their boys in a way that isn't so helpful for relationships and they get angry and it's not good to tell your kid, Hey, I don't like your mom or that. It's just like kids know that. Yeah. You know, they they can see it, we sense it. And you know, I mean, there was a lot of resistance for me to even allow my mom. I still won't really let her see me. I do like see me in like a vulnerable way. Mm-hmm. There was so much resistance, so much. So the idea that somebody, you know, even an old, it's hard to imagine. Like, I get like maybe because she was my step parent, so I didn't have any blood related you know, relation, Mm -hmm. but when you go in and you know that this is an actual, a parent will do this to another child. Yes. Holy moly. I guess I'd rather take my dad just kind of being a little bit, a lot naive and I'm being nice Mm -hmm. because, oh man,
0: that sucks. Yeah. I know the answer to this. I think I do. Why are you having so much trouble having a relationship with your mom when you know that all this was crap?
1: Because it was sustained. So it took 39 years to uncover. So in those 39 years, I viewed my mom through a false narrative. I viewed my mom as someone that was danger to me, Mm -hmm. someone that didn't want me. I saw my mom viewing me through the eyes of how my stepmom saw me. Right. And so when you don't have positive, good experiences, guess what sticks the negative. So just like, so targeted parents, you know, a a parent that didn't know, you know, just innocent, that they didn't know, like, why doesn't my kid like me? Well, then all they do is trigger us. We'll get a little close. And then you don't know what happens. And then you end up like fighting because it's like you're triggered. So, that's, and my mom's parenting style. That's another thing. Um, She's a very baby boomer, but very authoritative Well, when you're alienated and you don't know it and you're being gaslighted and just treated like, you know, like what you read, it was really bad. Mm -hmm. You go stay with your mother and you see your mother gaslight you or Everything you see is negative. So it just, it stuck. That's just what happened. And I got away. And when I got away, I didn't want to come back. I just wanted to, you know, live my life.
0: And, you know, there's a lot of times that we think logically of Mm -hmm. why am I responding this way? Why am I reacting this way? And we know it's not stuff that's true. But like you said, you've built up such defensive mechanisms to protect yourself
1: because, yeah, that's the complex. So that, that would be considered the complex trauma. Like that's the, like I can be around my mom now and not like have panic attacks or, you know, or or I'll just call it out. Like, okay, I'm feeling rejected Mm or it's a lot. There definitely is love there. There definitely is trust there. It's just, it didn't start to happen until she started to change how she needed to be. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she's like, She's doing it. She's like, it's kind of like, shit, I think I got ripped off. (laughs) I really got ripped off. Like, you know, she's a really good cook. I rebelled from cooking. DoorDash (laughs) is great. (laughs) Like so many things you're not, you know, it's just, it's bittersweet. And it's also beautiful because, you know, at the end it's like the experts say only way to really heal from this is to heal the relationships well, I can heal the relationship between my mom and me and, you know, my dad, but not my stepmom. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to see her again.
0: That's what I was going to ask you next was, do you have any type of relationship with her? Does she know that you have this manuscript?
1: Oh yeah. She knows I have like, she, she's got to know because my Facebook, my Instagram, stephood website, the books coming out, the first chapter, you know, the worst thing you could do to a narcissist or an alienator is to expose them. So my hope is that this helps people understand like, oh yeah, I, I, I may be a bad parent, but I don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> Some people have said, your story makes me want to be a better parent. And I'm like, oh my God. And, you know, and I start feeling bad for my mom or like, oh. but she owns it. She just says that she, this should have never happened. Even if she did want to work and I was going to just stay with my dad for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to watch who we leave our kids with. And I think parents should be able to co-parent. And when you put a step parent or someone that's not ready or just, it's okay to not want to be a step parent. It's okay to not want to be a parent. It's keeping those secrets inside is gotta just, you would think just be horrible Mm-hmm. She hasn't taken any responsibility. I've been told I can sue her. I'm, and I don't know if that's something I don't I don't sue her for what? She can't give me the time back. Right. Exactly. So I'd just rather t- turn this into something good. I just hope that every stepmom and every stepdad and every kid like feels safe. And you know, it takes time to make a family and one thing, whether you're blended or regular family or however they used to call it nuclear, your family. And enough with the labels, like it's so annoying. <laughs> Even for kids, when they have to say, "This is my stepdad or stepmom sometimes, it can be frustrating because people always go, "Oh, where's your real mom?"
2: <laughs> it's like, "Yeah, <laughs>
1: where's your real dad?" And it's like so I just hope that this really helps have a really positive conversation that needs to happen. What I originally wanted to do, honestly, was write the book. But Stephood, what I was trying to do is, it's like a social awareness project to the dangers of not co-parenting. And I still hope to do that, probably later down the line after, know we'll see what the book and all that. But I would like to start honoring the good step-parents, the ones that showed up and showed the kids how the love that their parents can find love again. And I want to be able to celebrate those. And if we celebrate those and maybe we'll inspire the other ones, like, oh yeah, I I want to do that too.
0: Right. So one last question. I I know I've got a million more questions, but what's your relationship like with your dad now? I take it you're not going over there for Thanksgiving.
1: (laughs) No, yeah, this divorce kid's actually kind of happy about not having to split. They talk about splitting is like one of the things that, Alienated kids do, yeah, and it sucks, right? It it's it the the word. It's like it's it's splitting, but it's not like we literally like split our bodies apart. Mm-hmm. We just get angry and believe, like, okay, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore, mom or dad. Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, splitting is more like, wow, I was right. You are bad. And then you're an adult though, so it, it was all based on lies, but you you don't actually split apart, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. What I was going to say is the relationship with my dad, you know, he feels really, really bad. It took him two years. It took him two years after the proof to come out to finally acknowledge, oh my God, I finally believe you. And it was a podcast, it was a divorce matters podcast because he was still holding on to his own narrative. And he's 77, I've seen him suffer a lot. So it was hard for me because. I have to like compassion, but I'm like, I'm not going to get codependent dad. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love you, but he's very proud of me, but this came at, you know, it's sad. It's sad that it could have been prevented. So he feels bad, but he still, he called me yesterday. It's funny. He says things, but it sounds like he's a little, like, he wants to take me to um, San Francisco and, and go to the Fisherman's Wharf. And I was like, dad, that's like something we did when I was like 11. (laughs) But he doesn't know. Like sometimes he sounds like her, and I don't. I haven't been able to share that with him. Like he's like, you know, you think I can go over and hang out? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I still have a lot more work to do so that you know I can get to a place where, oh my god, he just sounded like her. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know. So it's it's just right now. I think both my parents just want the best for me, and they just kind of feel like this was supposed to happen. And it's weird because it's like, wow, I really did have a, my mom wasn't the bad parent, Mm -hmm. but my son has a relationship with my mom. He hasn't had a relationship with my dad in like four or five years. My, my son will not talk to him. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. But you know, we all handle it differently Mm -hmm. and that's his mom. Like, you know, he saw it too. Yeah. It's so hard. hmm Yep. People have asked, like, do you think this could have happened to her? Like, maybe, you know, could this have happened to her? Like, maybe she wrote, you know, my dad tried to say, well, maybe she, she was just writing how she was feeling. Not It was a way to a release. And I'm like, Dad, you don't write about your own children being burned or... Crazy stuff. Yeah. And she writes about her own children. It's not well. So... Like, I don't know any different. So, like, I survived it, but now, but I knew exactly what I was feeling internally. And it was, uh, you know, that's why it's, they need to start having awareness at schools. Like, are you secretly mad at your parents? Right. Do you not get along with your stepmom or your stepdad or your parent? You know, like, they need to go in deeper. Like, my A score is a nine, an eight or not an eight. I'm going to say it's a solid eight. It's, it's not always um, like what, you read.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I was like, holy moly. Right. So we definitely want to tell people about your book and we want them to get the book, but we want to preface that by saying that the first chapter is kind of rough, <laughs> kind of tough. It was tough for me to read. It really was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get that a lot. And I think that's why it's important, especially, I think um, even like the psychologists have said, it should be used to help educate the judges and lawyers and everyone in the field that's working with kids to understand, because a lot of people, they, they don't understand. And it's like, I understand it. And, you know, it's completely preventable and it's in every part of the world. Yeah. Every court in every part of the world.
0: Yes, it is. And, you know, we deal with people from all over the world and parental alienation is real. It is horrible for the parents. It is horrible for the kids. And something needs to change. And I talk about this a lot in our podcast that the family court system sucks. It needs to be revamped. It needs to not be the good old boy system where Mm -hmm. there's political involvement or I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. It needs to be where a judge that doesn't know you other than what you're paper says, or your attorney says, makes a decision about your kid's life in 15 minutes based off their own personal life.
1: Absolutely. That's why it's so important. So important. And these are our kids. This is our future. It's not okay walking around feeling like on the inside, like there's something, there's something wrong, like what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. that was my nervous system. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. So d- absolutely. It's a $60 billion industry. Mm-hmm. They make money off of child support. So it, yeah, it's, and, and that's the thing is only families that have gone through it. So like half of the world knows it's getting the other half. I mean, look what happened to Britney Spears. <laughs> that's family court. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of shifting happening around, which is good. Yeah, We need
0: to things up. A lady that I know, um, we were talking about the family court system the other day, and she mentioned a movie or documentary, Divorce Court. Uh-huh. I've never watched it, but I plan on watching it. And she said, it's talking about everything that we're talking about.
1: Ooh, I want to find that one.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to have to watch it and let everybody know my input on it. But yes, something's got to give. The family court system is and it's not just the family court system, it's the criminal court system, it's the whole court system in general needs to be revamped to where things are more black and white. If you do this, this is what happens. They expect us to do this with kids. If you don't do your homework, your own restriction. Okay. If you don't follow the court order, you pay $2,000. The end. Right. It's You know, but then you go to a judge and you've got these court papers and Say your, your ex is in contempt of court and the new judge, because the old judge has retired, says, oh, well, I think that's BS. It didn't need to be in there anyway.
1: What? I, know, I was thinking, too, like some of these judges are so much older and it's like they're not living in our now. Right. Like they're living from, I mean, I don't want to be mean or anything. It's just like we can use some middle more middle-aged judges or maybe just the ones they show on tv but it's like i get how when you're you know you're a passenger and you want to see that those pilots are older yeah (laughs) but at the same time it's like all right life is not like it was when you were a kid mister and things are different and and until you like that's what cracks me up it's like man you guys want to win an election let's talk to all the like step families and blended families and step families You'll see what it's really like for us. And you know.
0: I'm even to the point that I don't think that they should be lawyers that turn into judges. Right. Because they're shady.
1: Not only that, but the judges use things back from when the 90s, they're using laws and and books that are so antiquated. Mm -hmm. Throughout evolution, we all learned this way. All of our kids come out of the womb, they're why isn't that introduced when we're talking about custody and why it's so important. And so it's just like, we're in a new like shift where I think it's going to be up to the people like us and, you know, anyone that wants to take accountability and wants their lives better, they can do it just by, you know, learning everything themselves because just so much corruption and you don't know who to believe.
0: Right. And It should be where we can represent ourselves. And I know that you can do things pro se, but it's not easy. They make it difficult. And some judges frown upon that greatly.
1: Oh, 100%. You think that if you're going to get to represent yourself, that you would get a 12-person jury. With family court, you get only a judge. I think if Mm -hmm. you had 12 civilians that Mm -hmm. live life the way we do, those kids would have a better chance than that judge that has lived a well life, I'm sure, but it's just not relevant anymore. Right. Yeah. And the
0: hours you spend in the attorney's office fighting and mediating and all that crap before you have the temporary hearing, before you have the updated hearing, before you have the final hearing, take three hours and let these people get to know the parents of these kids that they're trying to figure out what to do with the court order. You know, it's, it's just crazy
1: there's so much that we can do. And that's one of the things is like, especially for like, you know, like being a rebel, was, like, it was great, but I had, I had to realize like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Being a rebel, one of the things that it, does, it it takes your voice. So like, it took me 40 years to share my truth. Yes. And that was like, trauma survivors usually don't want to, you're still like, if you, especially if you haven't healed. So, I mean, look at the airlines, look at how many, like, fights going on in the airlines and people are losing it and it all comes down to like parenting and it's time to like shift and like be open-minded and this this can't happen anymore no kids should go through this ever again and i know they're going through it now and i honestly i think every good step parent would never you know i
2: yeah
1: yeah this like i said i i'm glad i survived it And I I just, I can't imagine a kid going through this and, you know.
0: Yeah. You and I were talking before I started recording and you mentioned writing your book, you had to refill things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I went through with David and what we went through together and as a blend, it was traumatic. That's Mm -hmm. why it took us so long to start doing our podcast because in the beginning when we did it six, seven years ago, I couldn't do it. Right. And there are still things that trigger me. And
1: you, you yeah. can't get creative when you're in a fight or flight and not that being fight fighter, you're, you're supposed to be able to do it like no big deal. Like mm-hmm. you can get a little bit freaked out. You're fine. You're supposed to be able to control it. But yeah, you can't, you can't even get creative. You're just, you're ruminating and you're, yeah, it sucks. You can't live a full life from that state.
0: Yeah. I know that we are helping other people and I know that your story is going to help other people too. Thank you. Without a shadow of a doubt. And I know that you do it for the same reasons we do for that simple email that says, thank you. You helped me.
1: Mm -hmm. And I get it. Like, I get it. I, I even get the like, oh, this would probably be like, I remember being a stepmom and thinking, okay, I'm not jealous, but I can see why someone would think this would be jealousy, but this isn't Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, but I was already a parent. You know, some of it too is just—they're just thoughts. Nobody tells us like, "Oh yeah, you're gonna have lots of thoughts. Don't pay attention to half of them." <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's. Uh,
0: I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Daniel Amen, and because I speak about him a lot, he talks about automatic negative thinking. Yeah. And he is wonderful. And the thoughts that pop in your head are not necessarily good for you. Right. And we have to make ourselves think positive and we have to be conscious of our thoughts and aware of them and be deliberate and diligent in
1: our thinking. Yes, absolutely. And we're not taught that. And sometimes I'm like, okay, if we're going to have to go to the schools, the kids are going to have to start learning how to parent themselves. (laughs)
0: Yeah, because we're raised to think, oh, well, what you think is the truth.
1: Right. No. and Yeah, it's yes and when you figure this out and when you know it it's like freedom oh my gosh i, I have way more freedom than i actually thought i did mm-hmm. and it's and then, and then it's that's why i'm always saying there's nothing wrong with you like the first time someone told me that i was like wait did you read all that though <laughs> they're like yes mm-hmm. let me tell you there's nothing wrong with you you survived you got survived you had long-term survival five patterns. Okay. I have complex trauma. Okay. I do, but I've learned, I learned tools and I learned about the body and brain and the nervous system. So right. it's like, once you can educate yourself, but even getting there, you still have to like, I mean, I had to take ketamine just to touch my mom, mm-hmm. like a psychedelic, just to feel safe. Yeah. And you know, that's, I was just like, well, you know, healing can be fun. <laughs> it's like if I was ever going to take drugs, I knew I would take it under, you know, under a uh, research for Stanford. I don't have to do that anymore. I can hug her for like a good solid two minutes. It feels great. But yeah, these are just things that are there that are available now. And people don't talk about it because if they are if it's not in their business, why would they?
0: Right. Exactly
1: you know, there's just, there, there, there's a lot of a good stuff that, that needs to be shared as far as healing and, you know, what it looks like. And at the end of the day with me, it's all inner child. So it's like, I don't know if I should be a comedian and like, Hey, do you want to hang out with the world's oldest inner child? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's awesome when you're like 49 and you feel 15.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah.
1: great.
0: Definitely. So, you know, it's
1: life. It's, life. It's, it's just life. And You know, trauma is anything that overwhelms the brain.
0: Yes, it is. Tell people how they can find you. What's your website and what's the name of your book? And when will your book be released?
1: So my book is looking to be released in January. The project is called the Stephood Project. And uh, that is the awareness campaign that is bringing the dangers of not co-parenting to the forefront so we can get some change and put a big spotlight on parental alienation and what it actually does to our kids. Mm -hmm. And you can follow me at Lisa.GoodPastor on Instagram. And then I'm also on Facebook. Okay. And what was the name of the book? The book is called Surviving Stephood.
0: Surviving Stephood. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. I really appreciate it. And you have shared some valuable information with us.
1: Thank you. It was fun. And I look forward to um, talking to you again.
0: Sounds great. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. David, of course, since we're working on a book, or I'm working on a book. That's a we. That's a wee. we. We started.
3: Wee. I've started the uh, framework.
0: Oh, okay. I asked her how long it took her, and she said about 10 years. <laughs> yeah. But she said because she kept refilling things. Mm-hmm. And you know, I get that, because when we started this podcast— we had to stop because it was too much of a trigger for me. I was refilling things like they had just happened, and I wasn't ready.
3: Yeah. A lot of people don't know that, that we started the podcast three years earlier. Um, and I think we, I can't remember if we published the episodes or didn't publish them, but we ended up pulling them down when we when we tried to launch. It was just, it was the wrong timing. Mm-hmm. So, Yep. Three additional years it took to finally get to that point where we could talk about it the way we do now. Right. So for those people who are going through things and they're like, yeah, but Lori and David, they make it look so easy. Uh, It was not easy getting to where we are.
0: No, but I'm so thankful that we went through that so we can help others.
3: Yep. Yep. We can get you there faster than we got there. I can promise you that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You can
0: learn from (laughs) our mistakes, people. (laughs) And there were many. And there were many. (laughs) And I'm not kidding when I say this, but... Going through all this and creating the Nacho Kids Method, it changed my life for the better in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Not just in our blend. You know, I often talk about how I nacho Walmart because it stresses me out. Yep. I nacho the cars that are behind me pushing on my butt. And I'm thinking, you back to eat the tail end of a Honda. That's so, when I'm behind her. <laughs> that's what I used to think pre-nacho. Now, I pull over at the earliest convenience and let them pass me. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they have a great day. And then when I see them at the stoplight ten miles down the road, I'm like, "Hey, how you doing?"
3: <laughs> well, I know for me, it, I, um, which I know it drives you crazy sometimes, but I am very, I very much stop before I say things a lot because sometimes I can be just in a grumpy mood, and I have to be careful not to just snap at you or anybody else for that matter. But t- typically, you and I are around each other a lot, and so. There's times I have to just stop and pause and like, wait a minute, why, why do I feel grumpy, or why do I feel like I'd almost snapped off at you about something when that's not the, it's not the proper response. I shouldn't be responding that way, and and so because of that, because I'm able to do some quick self-check and self-reflection, I'm able to respond better. And guess what? The entire day goes well because we didn't start out with. Me, you know, sending everything south by some crazy response that was not warranted.
0: hmm We still have some things you need to work on, though. What? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Listen here. <laughs> uh, I get a reprieve on
0: Saturdays. I'm going to start moving out on Friday and <laughs> coming back <laughs> on Sunday.
3: She she always tells me that Saturdays is my button-pushing day.
0: It is. It's like he's <laughs> a grumpy little fella. And I don't get it. Uh I think it's because like- you don't have to work on Saturdays, but you end up working on Saturdays.
3: Is that why I'm grumpy? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe I'm grumpy because I've had five days in a row of working.
0: <laughs> well, then maybe you need to start taking off on Fridays. I like the way you think. Something's got to change.
3: Look at here. I'm not mean. I'm just button pushing. Yeah, which makes <laughs> you mean. No, it does not. Just because I look at the mess in your office and make comments about it doesn't make me mean.
0: You know what? That's like (laughs) going to one person's trash dump and saying, there's a bunch of trash here. And then going to the other person's trash dump and saying, this looks good. Go to your own office, buddy. Leave mine alone. Mine's clean. Oh, please. I'm going to take pictures. (laughs) Well, come on. Take pictures. It ain't clean. It is clean. Maybe stepkid quality clean. I
3: spent the whole weekend cleaning this one room. And That's it's how bad st- it was. <laughs>
0: and it's still not clean.
3: It is clean. Don't be pushing my buttons. It's not even
0: Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, before David and I get into it.
3: <laughs> you come up here and look. How dare you?
0: I was up there the other day.
3: That was the other day. But you didn't come into my room. You went to the other room.
0: I came into your room Saturday night for a podcast. I mean, a Q&A oh. call.
3: No, no, no. Sunday's when all the magic happened.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, you just keep the magic happening up there, baby. I will. All right, folks. Thanks for listening.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And remember, life is good. When you nacho.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.